Father, thank you for this first day of the week. It's a reminder of the resurrection and things that are yet to come. I pray for everyone here that you would speak to each heart, that you would allow me as your servant to say words that hopefully are resonant with you, Lord, and your purpose and intention. And as we commit this time to you, we pray that you would work in it and through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's probably to be expected, isn't it? Since we're at church and I'm a pastor, we should pray, right? And even before uh, this uh, worship service began, believe it or not, I prayed that God would work in it and through it. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but when I came into the worship uh, place early this morning, I prayed that God would just fill this whole environment with his presence. And when I got up this morning uh, out of bed, the first thing that I did was invited the Lord my life and asked him to be a part of the day in a way that his hand would clearly be seen. Now, saying all that, that's kind of to be expected for a pastor, isn't it? I mean, that's what a pastor should be doing, right? All of those things. But here's the problem is, as I pray those things for those purposes, what other prayers am I saying in the course of the week? And that's where I think it breaks down sometimes. Here's an example. Yesterday, I wasn't wearing the pastor's hat. I was wearing the Honeydew Lister hat. I don't know if you know what that looks like, but it's a hat, and it could be a baseball cap. It can really take a variety of forms, and it honestly doesn't matter. As long as the honey that you're doing the Honeydew for has approval of the process, it's all good. Well, one of the honeydew lists was, um, uh, items on the list was something that I decided to tackle yesterday. It was a, it was a project that involved our deck, and I thought, I'm going to knock this out and check it off the list. Well, it was going really well until my drill motor died. And this is a battery pack drill motor and impact set that was necessary for the completion of the honeydew task. And when it died, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go put it on the charger. The problem was I couldn't find the charger for the battery pack, which just caused everything to grind to a halt. And I thought, well, I'm going to look in the house. I did, and it wasn't there. I'm going to look in the garage. I did, and it wasn't there. I looked in the shed. I looked in the detached garage. I looked all around, and I couldn't find it. So my next question was, who took it? And so I started making accusatory statements to my son and my wife about, did you see this? Did you really not see this? Are you sure you didn't pick it up? And after the Inquisition happened, I thought, I can't find this thing anywhere. So I went and I sat in the chair and I put my head back and I thought, I wonder where that thing is. And then another thought occurred to me, did you ask God for help? Well, no. Well, maybe you should. So I I prayed. I got up. I walked out to my detached garage, and there was another voice that said, did you look underneath this? And I thought, I didn't look underneath that, and it was just a a big metal box. I I picked up the metal box, and sure enough, there is the charger for my, my drill and impact set. And my next thought was, It wasn't thanking God that I found it. It was, I wonder who put that thing on there so I couldn't see it. (laughs) So I went back in the house and I started asking questions again. But here's the problem. 
There are a couple of things here that actually echo all the way back to the garden. There's so much in the Bible that has to do with garden imagery, whether we're a gardener or not. It's the idea of losing something and trying to find it again. It's the idea of blaming other people for the stuff that goes missing in your life. And it is especially the idea of only asking God to be a part of it as a last resort. You see, when we were expelled from the garden, it was God's way of saying, you're on your own. You're disconnected now. It's just you versus the world. That's what you wanted, right? And ever since then, we've been insecure. We've been unsure about our identity. And most of the time, we feel like when we have to do something that is non-religious, it's sort of us versus the world. And in all of this confusion, God is looking at us and he's saying, I've got the answer for every need in your life. And yes, I'm speaking to each of you and that need that you have in your mind right now that's causing you to be a little worried or anxious about things outside of this room. You see, when Jesus was presenting himself to everyone around him, his whole goal was to give a fresh take on who God was and how accessible he really wanted to be. And how everything in your life and mine is sourced in him. Is found through our connection with him. And so when John writes about the storyline of Jesus' life here on earth. He does make it very clear that this is God in the form of man. Representing to all of us uh, in bodily form everything that we ever wanted to know about God and more based on how he carried on and how he interacted. God was literally one of us. And when John was recording the storyline of his life, he, he did it in a way that people could relate to. In the Old Testament, when Moses was going to preach to the congregation of people that were just led up out of Egypt, and he was saying, now when I go to talk about you, God, who do I say that you are? And Moses said, uh, or God said to Moses, just tell them I am. And then he told them the story about all the miracles that he's done with the people prior to that. And when Jesus came on the scene, he took that very phrase and he said, whatever it is that you need, I am. And as John records it, there are seven powerful I am statements that we've been covering for seven weeks, including today. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd, on and on. Till today, where we have some parting words that Jesus is just basically saying, if you didn't get everything that you needed to get, get this. Because in just a few hours, I'm going to be arrested, and everything that I've done for three years is over. We're done. Have you ever had a thought, what would my last dying words be to somebody? I mean, if you were to tell your kids or you were to tell your wife, you would be thinking of the most important things that you needed to share so that their lives could hopefully, if it had any influence at all, be favorably impacted by that. And when Jesus is looking into the eyes of the disciples, he's saying, I'm getting ready to go. And you guys are anxious in your hearts because you know I'm getting ready to go. But I got to tell you one more thing. And this is what he said. We read it in John chapter 15. Um, and I'm just looking at verses 1 through 17. If you have your Bibles, feel free to take a look. Otherwise, I'm going to put it up on the screen if we can. 
John chapter 15, 1 through 7. Here's Here's what John wrote. I am the true vine... In the, in the tradition of the I am statements. And my father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's just leave it on that slide right there. Okay, just a couple of things we need to be clear on. If you saw the highlights, you know there's some key words here. One of them is remain or abide. And the other one is fruit. And as Jesus is telling them what he's hoping for them to understand, he uses that imagery of fruit and remain. But he's also telling us something that I think I wish I knew at the very beginning of my journey of following Jesus. That he's actually reconnecting what was disconnected in the Garden of Eden. He's taking us back to a garden imagery and he's saying, I'm reconnecting you to the Father. I'm reconnecting you to the Son. I'm reconnecting you to the Spirit. All those things that we've lost. I'm reconnecting you to your security. I'm reconnecting you to your identity. I'm reconnecting you to every vital, life-giving nutrient that your life will need. And apart from that connection, you can do nothing. Apart from that connection, nothing is going to really emerge out of your life that is going to make any difference in the end. And as Jesus is saying these things, the disciples are sort of taking hold of all of it. And they're beginning to kind of think about what's getting ready to happen. And think about what Jesus is saying because they realize that there's a change in the air. And they're wondering, how is it that they're going to navigate the change if something happens to Jesus? And so he says, stay connected to me. And as, as he's unfolding this, right out of the gate, he says something that's a little disturbing. The branches that aren't of any value are pruned by the gardener. And the reason they're pruned is so that more nutrients can go to the places that they need to go to. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're a gardener or not. I'm not a gardener. But I, I did discover a couple of things. When we were first married, we had uh, roses. And one thing that my wife kind of made clear to me is that you don't just let them all grow. You got to trim them back if you want some really nice ones because all the nutrients need to go there. And I kind of got that, and I think it made sense, and we did that, and the roses flourished. But if you really want to know an illustration of this in overdrive, you don't have to go any farther than the, than the, than the Canfield Fair. If you go to the very northwest corner of the Canfield Fair when it's on, you'll discover the Pumpkin Palace. Anybody familiar with the Pumpkin Palace? I don't know if that's what it's called or not. But honestly, I'm from Illinois, and I have never seen a 
pumpkin that weighs 1,200 pounds before until I went up there. And I'm thinking, what are they putting in those pumpkins? Growth hormones? Are they doing genetic engineering over here? What is it that's causing these pumpkins to get to be so large? And I asked my son who worked up at Park's greenhouse for a while, and Tim Park shared with him exactly how that happens. There are special seeds that have been cultivated over over generations that have just continued to show the potential for an ever, ever larger pumpkin each year. And you can trace on the wall all of the pumpkin winners and their size, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reason why is because the focus on the development of that pumpkin and the intentionality behind that focus is, is so intense that, um, that, that, that you, you, you go from a pumpkin that might weigh 10, 15 pounds to one that weighs 1,200 pounds, and you say, how? And what Christian shared with me was there's a, there's a vine that grows out of that seed, and there are shoots that come off of it, and each of those shoots wants to realize the potential of its own pumpkin, but you can't let them grow. You've got to cut them off. Every last one of them has to be cut off so that the singular pathway of nutrients goes to this one pumpkin that we are developing here, that we are tending to, that I'm guessing some of these guys are not sleeping with their wives for about six months, but with their pumpkins. And they are so obsessed with the well-being of this pumpkin that they're doing everything that they possibly can to make sure that that nutritional pathway is filled with everything dedicated to that one pumpkin. And not only that, but there is the the appropriate amount of sunlight and shade that are being allowed uh, to, to, to be exposed to it so that optimal growth will happen. In every way, there is an intentionality behind it. Knowing that, I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, when you prune things away, Lord, it means that you're causing something else to grow, to thrive. This is kind of a hard saying whenever we read it because as a new believer, I'm trying to wrap my mind around, so what? But what Jesus is saying is your life as you begin to follow him is going to change because you're now connected to the vine who's connected to the father who's the gardener and the Holy Spirit is working in the mix in a mysterious way to help you thrive. And you wonder, well, how? Well, let me just share something real quickly, if you don't mind. Um, when, I, when I first became a follower of Jesus, I, I knew that I was disconnected from something. I just didn't know what. And I was really kind of feeling my way into the source of the thing that I needed to give me life. And it did lead me to the Bible, and I read the Bible, or parts of it, and parts of it scared the daylights out of me, and parts of it were very, very, very calming and assuring. And as I read those parts, I thought, great, I can begin to follow Jesus. But I honestly did not want to go to church, because I felt like churches, that's for old people and weirdos. So I thought I would just try to do it on my own. And so for a few months, I was reading my Bible, 
I was praying. I was starting to think this me and Jesus thing is working out pretty good. And I'm asking him to help me with different things that I'm going through and help me with simple things that involve just the everyday uh, experience at work. And I was finding that God was just right there helping me out. And I knew that I needed to be connected to other people. I wanted to be connected to other people, at least hear other voices. So I started watching TV preachers. Not knowing anything about TV preachers, I realized that they all have different things that they emphasize. And one was pretty hellfire and brimstone. And I thought, well, I've got my fire insurance paid up, so I should be pretty good. And another one was saying, if you only believe and you don't doubt and you just keep that in your head, God will give you that. And it was like a vending machine. And I kind of like that one. So I listened to that one for a little bit and I thought, okay, based on what he's saying, and I'm a 19-year-old kid, not even in, had dropped out of college, and I'm thinking, what do I need the most? Money. And I thought, the TV preachers were saying, be bold. I thought, I'm going to pray for a million dollars. I'm embarrassed to say this. I've never said this in public before today. So I got down and I prayed, Lord, give me a million dollars. This will solve all of my financial problems and then I can go on and do whatever it is I need to do. But I still wasn't tied to a church. And you know what? God, for some reason, must have said I didn't have enough faith because I didn't get a million dollars. But I also know having had experience 18 and 19 year olds in my house I know this as much as I love all of my kids if I dropped a million dollars into their lap they would each be asking me for gas money next week so that's really your capacity is far lesser than your ability to manage something that great and you know what God was doing he was just kind of pruning he was at the same time taking me out of social settings that were not good. They were toxic. And he was nudging me towards a social setting that was supposed to be along the lines of his purposes. But I was going kicking and screaming because I'm thinking, I love you, Lord. I love reading your word. I, I don't even mind some of these TV preacher guys. But I can't do the church thing. And God just kept saying, you got to do the church thing. So I went, and the first pruning was Sundays became off-limits for anything but worship. An interesting thing was, the backstory, I used to race motorcycles, and we stopped, and we always raced on Sundays, and just a short while after I started going to church, my dad said, what do you think about starting racing motorcycles again? And I'm like, racing motorcycles on a Sunday? Where's the downside? Except there was no place to worship except for church. And I had to tell him, I can't. That's the Lord's time. And I've started this thing with the Lord and it seems to be working. And he's satisfying deeper needs than just getting on a dirt bike and racing around a track. As much as you know, that would be satisfying. And God's saying, I'm pruning stuff out that is important so that I can replace it with something more important. And as a newbie, I'm still putting this together. But finally, God did get me into a church that was loving and supportive. 
and really had the face of God on the faces of imperfect people. And it just reeled me in. And as they reeled me in, I was beginning to see a different way of life. And I was also shedding old habits and taking on some new ones. Shedding some old interests and taking on some new ones. So much so that my pastor said seven months later, you need to go to a Bible college and learn about the Bible. Which I did. And then a month later he said, you need to start preaching the stuff that you're learning. Which I'm thinking, oh, this is good. I went, I went 12 months ago from being Jesus and me, it's all good, to now fast forwarding 12 months and I'm preaching sermons. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that that's what I would be called to do. But that, for some reason, what I was doing. If I could just fast forward backwards, or however you say that, back to October of 2000, or... Okay, this is my age. 1983. I'd have been like, you are nuts. A preacher in 12 months? Well, first of all, that whole notion is irresponsible. I don't know what my pastor was thinking. But secondly, when you are connected to the vine, things start happening in your life that wouldn't and couldn't happen otherwise. And what Jesus is telling these people here is that your life's going to change and a lot of things are going to happen and the only way that you're going to be able to weather the storm is to stay connected. And the only way that you're going to thrive is to stay connected, to remain in me. And the only way that anything good is going to come out of your life, that is the fruit, is to remain in me. And I read this as a person who's been involved in the church for 30 years and I still find myself like yesterday thinking as a last resort oh yeah maybe I should pray for that missing battery charger that somebody hid from me and I realized something we are still in training when it comes to learning how to remain connected to God all the time and the honest truth is, I, I do pray a lot, pretty much for everything. I'll get in my car, and I'll pray, Lord, I don't want to have a conversation with my redneck nephews next Thanksgiving about hunting deer, and then I'll say, yeah, I got mine too, but it set me back $1,500 in a deductible. So I pray, Lord, do not let me hit a deer whenever I go out on my car. And so far... It's been so good. And when I get on my motorcycle, I pray, Lord, please don't let me hit a deer. And it's not just that. It's pretty much everything anymore. And what Jesus is trying to say to them is hopefully what I'm trying to say to you. Is that what became disconnected in the garden is in the process of being reconnected through Jesus. So Jesus says... If you want to get anything I've said so far, it's this. I am the vine, and out from the vine is a connection called a branch, and you are that branch. Well, can I, let, let me just move on to the next verse and, um, and, and see what he says there. Let's go on to the next slide. 
If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did it just say ask for whatever you wish? So maybe I should have stuck to my guns on that million bucks. Wouldn't be here right now. I would be probably, you know, somewhere else battling a hurricane or something. But as I'm looking at that, I realize that if I'm in the vine and I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and Jesus is in all of us in that way, all of a sudden my priorities are going to be his priorities. The things that are important to him are actually going to be the things important to me. And that just doesn't happen by sheer will. It just happens organically. As you begin to walk into the things of the Lord and you're opening your life to him, he begins to just work. But I can guarantee you there probably isn't a a person in this room, myself included, that doesn't have things that God wants to prune. And probably if he brought the scalpel close to that thing that's working against his purposes, you'd say, anything but that. But God's essentially saying, I've given you a timeline here on earth. And there are things that you can take with you into eternity. And there are things that you can't. And the stuff that you can't, I'm going to spend the rest of your life pruning So that what goes is what needs to go and what stays is what needs to stay. I wish I could just say that to every new believer. That if you want to know what the Christian life is all about, it's how God begins to reconnect you here and now for the things that are yet to come. But the process starts, it starts now. And Jesus is telling them, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. And God will do powerful things through you. And so as a sidebar, if you've been in the church for a while and you've been serving, and you, you know, you've come in early and you've prepared communion or you've um, given uh, bulletins to people as sort of an entryway, or you've been here a long time and, and you're doing work that otherwise can seem a little thankless or underappreciated, or sometimes you're just like, I'm just burned out. There's two causes of that problem. One may be an organizational aspect of not doing our due diligence to make it a good environment to thrive in. But the other side of it is on us. And that is, am I so busy doing stuff all the time that I've left the vine, I've left the Father, I've left the Son, I've left the Holy Spirit over there, and now I'm just, whoa, I'm just busy doing things for the Lord because things for the Lord have to be done, and the, and the list is getting longer. And you get so busy doing things for the Lord that you begin to prune out your own stuff that you need to keep healthy, like your prayer time, like some time in the Word where you're meditating a little bit, Like some time where you're beginning to ask a balcony view question of your life. Why am I getting burned out? 
But you don't have time for that. You don't have time for reflection. All you have time for is getting that ever-expanding list of things done. And the more you do that, and you're doing it for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, and you're saying, God, this is all for you. But God's saying, that's great. But you haven't taken the time to do the essential gardening that has to be done on a very consistent basis. I mean, how, do, how many of you just let your yard just grow? Oh, it's spring, Lord. I can't wait to see how many feet high the grass is going to be by the time October rolls around. I mean, honestly, do you do that? I'm tempted to do it. I'd love to say, yeah, people drive up in my driveway and it's just like a tunnel. I'll just say, yeah, this is a natural habitat um, for wild animals. I would love to mow it, but I can't because it's been designated for their purpose. Which is just another way of saying too lazy to spend time. And what God is telling us is, I think today in our culture, we live in a hypertext culture that constantly wants something new and different all the time. We're socially engineered to expect stimulation all the time, to not be bored, and to stay active. But here's the problem. You're coming to church, and you're saying, I want to follow you, Lord. And then the pastor or somebody says, but you need to read your Bible. And so you start reading your Bible, and you're like, oh, this is going so slow. And the stuff in there just takes too long to read. And I don't know if I can even do that. But here's the problem. The Bible is what's called Jewish meditation literature. It's designed to be read slow, to be digested, to be reflected upon, and then to walk out into your life situation and say, God, with all this stuff that you've poured into my soul, how does it have bearing on, on this window that is my life? That doesn't sell very good. I mean, it'd be like, hey guys, come to church so we can immerse you in Jewish lit meditation literature and you can reflect for a while and um, spend some time reading long things that take a lot of time that's really slow doesn't sell very well, does it? But I've seen enough people who've lived hypertext lives of distraction come in here and say, why am I so broken? Why is my soul hurting so much? Why have my relationships broke down? Why do I feel so disconnected from God? Because everything that's going on out there is a recipe for that kind of life. We're a different people. And you need to know that going in. You need to know that there are ways of life as a believer that are different than the ways of life out there. And the reason they're that way is because what God has done is taken this place called a church and he said essentially what I'm doing is I'm trying to recreate the garden here. I'm trying to recreate the things that have been lost through people that have been lost people who have been found. I'm trying to work through their lives so that other people can see it. 
You see, Jesus could have said, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to, I'm going to right all the wrongs. I'm going to smash every adversary. I'm going to take every tyrant and I'm going to put them in their place. But instead, he chose the slow process of using other people to fulfill his purpose. And it's a slow process over literally thousands of years. When God in and of himself could have done it very quickly. But for some reason he wanted to include you and I in the process. He wanted you to share in the things that he takes pleasure in. He wanted you to discover all the things that have been lost. To the process of being connected to him and connected to other people. Which gets us to the last part that I need to read here. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I, I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Here's one of the reasons why I was so scared to go to church. Is, first of all, they wore clothing that wasn't in my wardrobe at all. Secondly, <clears throat> I had had this notion that when I go there, they're going to judge me. And thirdly, I'm like, I need to find a tribe to connect to, and I'm not sure if that's the place to go. What I was pleasantly surprised to find out was that they didn't care how I dressed. And they, rather than judging me, loved me. And then as they took me in, they said, we want to make you part of our tribe. And by that time, I'm like, I would love to be part of your tribe. And the result of it was somehow what we just read came alive in those people and it pulled me into that very relationship that I hope in this setting is helping to pull you in and you to pull others in. And Jesus wanted us to know that the thing, the one compelling feature in our brokenness, our deepest need, the reason why we long to connect with other people is because we have been disconnected in the garden and we instinctively want to reconnect with other people. Want to reconnect with God. But our culture will tell you there are ways that you connect with people and there are ways that you connect with God that have very little to do with God. That are distorted and distorting. That will lead you down paths that will actually undo the things that you're trying to cinch up.
offering a lot of counterfeit solutions to the only solution that there really is. Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm here because of him. When the Gospels tell us about Jesus, they say the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But when John tells us about Jesus, it goes from third person to first person. John basically says, when Jesus is trying to tell you a story, he's bundled up into it. I am this, I am that. Because everything about our life with him is bundled together into an intimate relationship with him. And then with each other. And that's the only way that it works. Weird, huh? But it works. And we go from being people that are disconnected, that are in self-preservation mode, that are fearful, that are insecure, that are caught up in the undertow of what's happening in the news or culture. We look at other people as a threat rather than as charitable. We see our life in terms of what we can get We think about other people who wound our pride as offenders who need to be discounted. We see what other people have and we feel jealous because we don't have that. Or envious because we want even more than what they have. We look around and we see how we have to project to other people something about who we are that we're not so that we can at least find our place in the pecking order. And on and on it goes. Until Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we're reconnected. We're not insecure anymore because Jesus has just said, Greater is he than he who is in. He, great, greater than. Can't remember the quote now. Um, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus says, You have a new identity as. A child of God. Jesus says, I will keep you secure. I will keep you. I won't let them take you. Jesus says, whatever you need that the world says, you should long to have this and desire to have it, but you can't. Whatever that is, I am. And in every way, when you're reconnected, God is saying, in my own way, I will supply everything that you lack. Trust me. And I guess if I were to give you the good news this morning, it's that if you are disconnected, I don't want to just connect you to a church. I want to connect, I want to help connect you to Him. And maybe that's what we need to take care of today, is to find a moment where you're saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back to the garden. Maybe the Lord's been connected to you for a while, but you've sort of been disconnecting. And God's saying, I want you to begin to reprioritize me again. And it might involve some pruning. Or maybe you've been serving and you're just beat. And maybe, maybe it's us not doing our due diligence and helping all those things that are around you to keep your morale high. Or maybe it's the fact that you're just too darn busy and you need to prune. And you need a Sabbath rest in the mix so you can rest. 
Maybe God's saying, I know you're burned out. And here's why, you're too busy. Or maybe God's just saying, I want you to take a break and rest in me for a while. Wherever you're at on the path and whatever's going on in your soul, Jesus has the thing that you need in that next step and we want to help you go there.